today, as you've noticed, if you've come in, you're like, what is going on? We've taken some time to focus our thoughts and hearts biblically on Orphan Sunday and adoption and foster care and, and supporting orphans all around the world. And if you look at your insert that I put in the bulletin, with over 143 million orphans worldwide, I would say the need is still great. Would we not? Statistically speaking, there's some good news here at Battlefield, and I, I have to up my numbers because I just realized, by the way, this is as far as I know, there may be more. We have eight families, eight adoptive families now at Battlefield Baptist Church. One of our families who's not able to be with us this morning, they're down at Smith Mountain Lake, but I was talking with Donna. They've been heavily involved over the last 19 years. Now listen, Stan and Donna uh, Sutphin have... A, fostered 36 children, adopted six of those children, and out of all of those children, most all of them have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That's amazing. We have many of our families who are involved in worldwide outreach through praying and giving financially, through our faith promise missions giving, to, to help and support vulnerable children worldwide, locally and globally, church planning efforts, feeding centers, orphanages, and other opportunities for those in need. And by the way, I always say, listen, I'm great with all of those things as long as we make sure we're giving them the gospel as well. Amen? And that's what is certainly going to make a difference eternally. But let's think about the need for a second and connect the dots spiritually speaking. If you would, we'll go very quickly this morning. But what's the first thing that comes to our mind when you and I hear the word orphan? Or we hear the word adoption. Obviously, as believers, I pray that our first thought is to focus on God's love. As Lindsay, thank you to you and Justin for putting that video together. I, I, I hope that our focus is on God's love and the idea that through the finished work of Jesus Christ, as was mentioned even following, that you and I are all have been adopted in the family of God. In fact, John in his gospel, he starts out in John 1. Look at these verses in verse number 12 and 13. John said, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Notice that phrase. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but notice what he says, but of God. In Galatians, we did a study on the uh, book of Galatians recently. In Galatians 4 and verse number 3 and following, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Galatia, he says, Even so we, he concludes himself, when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them what were under the law. Notice he includes himself again, that we might receive, notice what he says, the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant. That's good news. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, notice what he says, then an heir of God through Christ. Amen. What a beautiful thing. Listen, the greater you and I understand the beauty of our adoption spiritually and eternally, the greater that you and I will be able to comprehend the beauty of adoption and orphan care. 
physically, mentally, emotionally, and yes, even spiritually speaking, that beautiful picture that we have. I'm reminded from Romans chapter 8 that as Christ followers who are being led by the Spirit of God, that in verse number 14 of Romans chapter 8, that you and I are referred to as, notice there, the sons of God. In verse 15, it continues on. The Bible says that we have received the spirit of adoption. In verse 16, the Holy Spirit bears witness with us and says that we are, I love it, the children of God. And then in ultimately in verse number 17, the Bible declares that if we, you and I, are God's children, then we are, again, as Paul had previously stated, that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Oh, my friends, being adopted as one of God's children, as an heir of God, is one of the most beautiful and most rich theological concepts throughout Scripture. If you're adopted here this morning in the Beloved, say amen. amen. Are you thankful for your adoption in Jesus Christ? I know I am. It beats the alternative, right? I had a soteriology professor one time, and he said, boys, let me sum up this class for you. And he took chalk out because we had chalk on our chalkboards. We didn't have dry erase boards. We didn't have magic boards. We didn't have all those things. We had real chalk with real boards. And, oh, man, anybody ever run your fingers down a chalkboard? Ugh. He took that piece of chalk and he wrote out, I'm headed for heaven and I can't help it. Oh, praise God for our adoption in Jesus Christ. Listen, by definition, the word adoption, as we know, legally refers. It's a legal action by which someone who is not a previously a part of a family is invited to become part of the family. And then, here's the beautiful picture of adoption. And then is granted all the rights and all the privileges of being a child in that family. I was granted all the rights and privileges, Mom, of being in your family. And I counted a joy. I counted a joy that you would love the unlovable, such as my brothers. <laughs> that you would welcome them with open arms as well. In the Old Testament, I'm joking, please. Don't walk around. Is he really serious? No, I'm joking. In the Old Testament, though, look in Exodus chapter 2, because adoption, legal adoption, was not something that was prescribed under the Jewish law or even really practiced by the Israelites. But here, my friends, I want you to know this. And some of you great theological thinkers are saying, well, adoption wasn't prevalent in the Old Testament. I'm here to tell you, you are wrong. And the very first picture of adoption we see, we find it here in Exodus chapter 2. And we'll move quickly. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 1. And the Bible says, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was goodly child, she hid him three months. Now you have to understand what's going on at this time. The king of Egypt has already declared, right? that all the male children are going to be killed. They're going to be put out because he's afraid of the Jews rising up and building an army greater than his. And so he goes to the midwives and he tells the midwives in chapter 1, he says, listen, when you're in with these women, if they give birth to a boy, you kill the boy. If they give birth to a girl, you let her live. And so we continue reading on. 
says that the woman conceived and bare a son in verse 2. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with the pitch and put the child therein and laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along the river's side. And when she, notice Pharaoh's daughter, when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. (laughs) And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter. And he became, notice these words, he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Now, if you go back to verse number 6, you see the key to this very short illustration that I want to make for you this morning. And the key is right there in verse 6. It says, and when she had opened it, when she opens the basket and she sees the child and she hears the baby weeping, the Bible says she had what on him? She had compassion on him. Now, here's the thing, folks. Based on the king's decree, the first response of his daughter should have been to what? To kill the baby. And yet, God, in his infinite wisdom, strategically placed Moses in those flags to be found by Pharaoh's daughter. And the Bible says she had compassion on him. Oh, yes, I say. Adoption. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. And by the way, isn't that what causes you and I to move into action? Anytime you and I move into action, it's usually because we're allowing the love of God to flow in and through us. Normally, if we're not moved with compassion or moved into action, it's called the spirit of selfishness that holds us back, right? And so we see when someone is hurting, when someone is need. You and I, our ability to show compassion that actually communicates to the world that you and I are followers and imitators of Jesus Christ is a beautiful thing. It was in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36. After Jesus had traveled all throughout uh, Galilee, he says these words. It says that when he looked upon the multitude... Uh, Matthew records this, it says that he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Here we see how our Lord was moved moved with compassion because of the sickness, because of the sadness, because of the sinfulness of the people. It caused him to move into action. Clearly God allowed, as I said, to put uh, Moses there in Pharaoh's family because he had a strategic purpose. And we know on this side of the story that the purpose was to lead the children of Israel out of the 400 years of captivity. By the way, based on what we know, Moses was not treated as a second-class citizen. In fact, you can go to Hebrews chapter 11, with which we don't have time. But Moses, for a season of his life, he enjoyed, if you please, the lifestyle of the rich and the famous. 
Am I right? But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, he forsook it all to follow God. To follow God. And so God's word is still encouraging our hearts today through the story of Moses' adoption. I think of James. James wrote in James chapter 1 and verse number 27. In the first part he says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Notice what he says. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Folks, when our religion is pure, when our so-called religion is undefiled, it's going to be sincere. It's going to be genuine. And folks, I can tell you, if you read on in the book of James, this is not all that James is saying. Don't walk out of here and say, well, James, is that what the book of James is all about? No, that's not all. But what an incredible opportunity is for you and I who have a relationship with Jesus Christ to actually allow that to motivate us to practical generosity towards others. Similar to the actions of Pharaoh's daughter, truly our love for the Lord Jesus Christ should and will cause us to have compassion towards others. You remember what Jude 22 says? And some have compassion. Making a what? I'm so thankful, Justin and Lindsay. I don't know who calls you saints. I mean, I, I mean, you are a saint of God. But man, praise the Lord that you had compassion. I know that you were already connected through uh, supporting Asher, but what an amazing opportunity that you took that compassion and God moved on your heart and you moved into action. I'm so grateful for that. I think about another story sandwiched. It's sandwiched in Scripture. A lot of people will miss it. It's sandwiched between the books of Nehemiah and Job. We find the story of Esther. And in Esther chapter 2, probably a, a, a story that sometimes we kind of just glance by. I just want to read a few verses. We won't really look at it, but I just want to read the verses and make one simple comment. In Esther chapter 2, in verse number 5 and following, notice what the Bible says. It says, Now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yair, the J is silent, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away with Jeconiah, excuse me, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. Verse 7 is the key. Watch this. And he brought up Hadassah. That is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father or mother. And the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, notice what he did? He took her for his own daughter. The Bible tells us that Mordecai is the nephew of Esther's uncle. Therefore, he's her what? He's her cousin. And so he's related to her, and yet the Bible says that he adopts her. She became his daughter. And by doing so, this allows Mordecai to actually step in and to care for Esther in probably one of the greatest times of hurt and need of her life. And if you read the book of Esther, you see how greatly, how greatly she was used of God. As the story unfolds, it becomes crystal clear the extent to which Mordecai would actually go to care for Esther. And the point that I want to make with this short illustration before I move on is that sometimes family members, 
Sometimes family members step up. Sometimes family members step in to protect and to provide care for vulnerable children who are left without one or more of their parents. Oh, God bless you. What a beautiful thing when we think about the opportunity we have. I want us to wrap up. Flip back or flip over, excuse me, to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. I want you to see this story for yourself because we'll read it and then we'll close up shop. And you say, what? The message cannot be that short. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Look at 2 Samuel 9. Don't shake your head. I'm telling the truth, Mark. <laughs> Mark's like, no way. This is not happening. It's like Groundhog Day. right? It's not happening. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 9. Here in, here in this chapter of Scripture, we find probably one of the most incredible stories concerning uh, adoption in Scripture. And notice what the Bible says about David's apparent adoption of a son. Notice in verse number 1 in chapter 9, the Bible says, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? And Ziba said unto the king, Oh, you think this would have struck a chord with David? He says, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then the king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not. For I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And I will restore thee all of the land of Saul thy father. Saul's his grandfather, by the way. He says, I'll restore all of the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him and shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. <laughs> now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table, watch these words, as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat, notice these words, continually, at the king's table and was lame on both of his feet. What a beautiful thing. 
Even the concept, the thoughts of adoption pictured here for us. Without a judge, without paperwork, without paying any, any really absorbent expense. David gave it all back. He gave Saul's land, all his possessions back to Mephibosheth, which weren't his to begin with. And he brings Mephibosheth into his home. David essentially adopts this young man into his home. And I think about it. This is the enemy. This is the grandson of one of David's greatest enemies. It was Saul who had chased David and tried to kill David again and again and again. And yet David's response is, listen, is there anybody left? Is there anybody left that I might show compassion to them? And the servant says, yeah, yeah, Jonathan's boy. But you don't want him. He's lame on his feet. He lives out in Lodabar. There's no pasture out there. It's a desert land. It's a wasteland. You don't want him. And he says, bring him. Fetch him and bring him to me. What a beautiful picture of God's grace. In verse number 1 of 2 Samuel 9, David takes the initiative. In verse number 1 and 3, he asks about the opportunity to show love of God to somebody. In verse number 5, he sends and he fetches for Mephibosheth. The bottom line is it was important to him. And here's what I know. Orphan Sunday will only be as important to you as you allow it to be. Caring for widows, caring for orphans, being concerned about, put it in air quotes if you want, others will only, only move you if you are moved with compassion. Dave take. David takes the initiative. In verse number 7, I see that David shows mercy to someone who, quite frankly, is unworthy of it as the descendant of his evil enemy. Later on in the story, we see that David seeks to restore everything that had been lost, everything that Saul had lost, the land, the servants, the food. At that time, he restores everything to Mephibosheth, this so-called social outcast of the day. By the way, you think he's living over a maker with, his, with uh, this guy maker in this uh, area of Lodabar for a reason? He's out there in the midst of nowhere where nobody can reject him or despise him. Oh yeah, David seeks to show uh, him mercy and, and takes the initiative and tries to restore everything. But I want you to see this. David was motivated by love and that's what I want to encourage for each and every one of us to be motivated by love. Last week we were talking about this, talking about the idea of cultivating our love for God. And in Mark chapter 12, it was Jesus who said, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And in verse 31, he goes on and he says, And the second is like it, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And he says, There is none other commandment greater than than these. In other words, Jesus was saying, love every soul, love every human being that you come into contact and no one, no one, no one is to be left out. Oh, we have an opportunity to be a conduit of God's grace and mercy to other people. In this verse, when Jesus says to love God first and to love neighbor secondly, you see the, the progression of love. The, pro, the progression of love is this. It goes vertically, and then it moves horizontally. Folks, that's the only way it works. If I try to love my wife in my own strength, my wife's a great woman, and I 
echoed that last week and I gave you bullet points to her greatness. But if I try to love her simply in the flesh, I will fail. But if I love her as someone who has been loved from God, right? Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, right? He loved us first. And so we see this beautiful picture that we have the love running this way. Up and down and up, down and up. And then we're able to love out this way. Oh yes, we love him because he first loved us. And then in 1 John 4, 11, the Bible goes on and says, Beloved, if God loved us, we ought also to love one another. James said to visit the fatherless, right? In James 1, 27, he says, To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. I'm reminded of Ephesians 4, 32, which I share a lot of times with people, that says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Here's the beautiful picture of this story in 2 Samuel 9. You see it. David did it for Jonathan's sake. But God did it for Jesus Christ's sake. He has loved each and every one of us. A couple of things and I close. The Bible makes a point of letting us know. It's like, why does the Bible give you certain details? Like, the name of the fact that he has a son named Micah, just, and then it goes on. But the Bible also in verse number 3 and verse number 13 of this chapter tells us that Mephibosheth was lame on his feet. He was lame on both of his feet, it tells us in verse number 13. And in verse number 4, I told you he's living in a place called Lodabar. Well, it's important for you to understand that Mephibosheth's name actually means shame. Or shameful one. A, repeller, a, 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 a representative, a repeller uh, of shame. That's, who, that's what his name meant. And Lodabar, as I said, it actually means having no pasture. It's a desert place. It's a wasteland, if you please. Mephibosheth, watch this, was an outcast who came from no place. And Mephibosheth, remember, in verse number 8, look what Mephibosheth says. He says, and he bows himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shalt look upon such a dead dog as I am? He says, I'm an outcast. Why would you call for me? Why would you bring me in? Other than being scared that he might lose his life because he was the grandson of the one who uh, uh, chased David down, David brings him in and gives him everything. Listen, folks, Mephibosheth said, why would you show such kindness to me? My question when I read this story is to turn around and ask God, why would you show such kindness to me? I'm a shameful one. I'm an outcast. I live in a desert place, in a wicked place. A place of sin, if you please. And it was God, remember, for Christ's sake. He said, the Bible says, God so loved the world that he sent, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a beautiful picture. David brings Mephibosheth to his house and sits him at his table. The same thing that Christ enables us to do is to sit around that banquet table of our great God and King Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, adoption, what a beautiful thing. It was one pastor and teacher who said it this way. He said simply, you and I are Mephibosheth's. You and I are Mephibosheths. We have been sat down at the king's table 
even though we were unworthy, even though we were the shameful ones, the dead dogs, if you please. Adoption, foster care, protecting orphans needs to be restored to a lofty position in the hearts and the minds of believers all around the world. And I just happen to believe that when you and I fully grasp, when we fully grasp God's beautiful gift of adoption, by bringing you and I, those who call upon the name of the Lord, as was mentioned, by bringing us into his family, that it will no doubt change the way that we look at earthly adoption. Oh yes, by the way, vertical adoption always motivates horizontal adoption. Now here's the thing. God doesn't call, right? God doesn't call every one of us to adopt children but he does call every one of us to love them. And so how do we do that? We have an opportunity to do that in a very real way. Maybe God, maybe God has been speaking to your heart and your life about adoption, orphan care, foster care, right? Maybe God's been speaking to you. Man, I encourage you to get with one of the many families that we have that have been down that road that can give you uh, advice and encouragement and counsel on the next steps that you might take as far as caring for others. But in the end, however you're motivated, however you're moved, remember this, it's a beautiful thing when we imitate the love and the truth of Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world. And so with that, I would ask, maybe there's someone here, and you say, you normally do this with heads bowed. No, I, I just want to be able to look at you. Maybe you're here, and you say, you've never experienced that beautiful picture of adoption in Jesus Christ. I want you to know that God loves you. That Jesus died for your sin. He died for my sin. I'm thankful that he did that. And the Bible makes it very, very simple. It tells us that we're sinners. It tells us that there's a price to be paid. But the Bible reminds us that all we have to do is call out upon the name of the Lord and we'll be saved. And when we do that, how amazing is that? God implants the spirit of adoption into our hearts. And you and I become the children of God. How beautiful is that? Heirs, right? The Bible says heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, why not, why not make him the Lord, the Savior and Lord of your life today? And simply all you have to do is right there where you are. Just call out upon the name of the Lord. Just tell him. He already knows. You say, well, what do I tell him? Just be honest with him. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I need you to forgive me. I need you to come into my life. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I need you to come into my life and to change me from the inside out. And if you'll do that, oh, listen, if you'll mean business with him, I got news for you. He already meant business with you when he died on the cross. If you'll mean business with him, he'll answer your prayers. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.